Okay, so um, Joshua 5, and I'll read it for us this morning. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel for Jibbeth Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, uh, circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out to Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way of the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land of the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children, whom he raised up to their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name that so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover of the 14th day of the month in the evening of the, pl- the, of the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna seized that day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Good morning, Echo Church. Good to see you guys this morning. It's a joy to be here uh, on the Lord's Day, opening up God's Word together and jumping in. We're continuing our series in uh, the book of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, which we are going to be in throughout the whole school year, probably ending around June, early June. And uh, we, as a church, we love God's Word. We specifically love to teach God's Word and the full counsel, what's called the full counsel of God's Word. And what that means is that when we come upon things that are a little strange, when we come upon things that maybe feel at first like they man, that seems like it has no meaning for me today as a 21st century Gentile Christian, okay, which is most of you here in this room. We cover it. We continue to, to cover it because we believe that all of God's word is profitable. We believe that, that we can actually see in, in what we thought were areas of scripture that go, oh, that doesn't have any application Lots of application for us. And today is a test of that kind of of thing. We're going to be talking about circumcision today. Uh, I know that all of you on your way here, you were thinking, man, I wonder about circumcision in the Bible. I, I wonder how circumcision applies to my life specifically. Well, I'm here to answer what you were all thinking on the way here. Um, we're going to jump in to uh, a text where it's, it's odd. It's odd. We've been working through the book of Joshua. We, we all, many of us who know Joshua love chapter one. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Take courage, Joshua. A lot of us know that, that passage. A lot of us know chapter two, Rahab, right? Rahab, the prostitute in the story. Some of you have heard that, uh, maybe not in Sunday school, but you heard that in, in church. You're familiar with that story. And then we have a couple of chapters before the action begins, before the, the warfare and the fighting begins. We have a couple of chapters that just seem strange to our ears. And yet, the fact that the Bible has taken so much time to think about them, to talk about them, there's meaning here. There's something that God is wanting us to see. And so what I want to do is pray And then I want to invite us all to dive in and to see what it is that God has for us uh, this morning. Father, we love you. And yet we recognize, as we've already confessed, as Hector led us in confession this, this morning, we confess that our hearts are not always in line with you.
In fact, we confess that our hearts begin when we're outside of Jesus, totally opposed to you. And then when we come to faith in Christ, there is not perfect transformation. There is not perfect sanctification happening in our lives. In fact, we learn and we grow in this Christian life. And Lord, it seems that one of the things we have to grow in is to have a love for your word, which places the things that your word values ahead of the things that we would think to value. And so I pray that this would be an exercise for us of, of diving into something that if we're honest, we weren't thinking about this morning and yet how it glorifies you and how it speaks to who you are and how it speaks specifically to Jesus and what he did on the cross. Lord, may we celebrate this morning with our hearts again, what happened on the cross that saved us from our sins. And may we think carefully about circumcision, an odd topic, but yet one that your Bible talks about. And, and we're not going to run from it, Lord, because we want your words. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's where the sermon's going. Here's where we're going. We are going to start by looking at this particular point of scripture. Joshua chapter 5. There's a, there's a couple of verses here that we're going to look at. And we're going to get the story. We're going to pick up in the story what's going on here. For instance, we're going to answer the question, why are they being circumcised all of a sudden? And then for the second half of the sermon, we're going to talk about circumcision throughout the Bible. We're going to talk about what it means. We're going to talk about what is it pointing towards? Why does the Bible put such an emphasis on this ritual that was performed only on male babies, right, at, at, at eight days old? Why is that so important? And why does the Bible talk about it both in the Old and in the New Testament? Okay, so that's where we're going. We're going to be on the text for the first half, and then we're going to be throughout the Bible in the second half. And, um, and that's where we're going. First of all, for those of you that are maybe coming in, not raised in the church or not familiar with what this is, what is circumcision, first of all? Um, circumcision is the practice in Judaism of cutting away the foreskin of an eight-day-old baby boy. Okay. Now, if that's still confusing to you, you can ask your parents. And if you're an adult that that's still confusing to you, you can try to ask your parents too. That might be a little more awkward, but you can, you can, you can ask. Um, circumcision was a sign that this little baby boy, this little baby belonged to the covenant people of God. This was the Old Testament sign that you were in the people of God. That baby was marked off as one who was going to be taught God's word. The parents, in a sense, by circumcising their baby, were saying, we're going to raise this little child as an Israelite under God's law. We're going to teach him God's law. He's going to be responsible for God's law. Circumcision didn't save people. You weren't saved as an Old Testament Israelite because you got circumcised. There were many, many Israelites that were, that were actually judged by God that were also circumcised, right? It didn't mean that you were good with God. Just because you had had that ritual performed on you as a baby, rather it was a physical cutting away of the flesh that was meant to be a symbolic pointer to the cutting away of inward sinfulness. Let me say that one more time. This is going to be so important for you guys, to, for, for us to grasp this, and, and we're not going to be able to get any further unless you hear me clearly on this. The physical cutting away of the flesh in circumcision was a pointer to what was needed for the people of God, which was an inward cutting out of the flesh. There's an inward heart, I might even say heart circumcision, because the Bible says that. A heart circumcision was required for everyone, male and female, in order to be truly obedient to the Lord from the heart. And that's what circumcision was always pointing to. You cut away the flesh saying something needs to be cut off of you, cut out of you, your heart. Something is wrong with you. Something is, something is not right at birth with you. You've got to have something cut away. There's a surgery that needs to go on in you. So if God's people 
were going to be able to live under God's rule in God's land, they would have to somehow cut away that rebellious part of them. That is why that was to happen here in Joshua 5, just before they enter into the land itself. You cannot enter the land and be my people, God says to the Israelites, unless you are circumcised. That's a pointer to what's really needed is on the inside. You have to have this inward circumcision in order to truly be my people, but you're going to have this out, this external ritual, which is going to point you to that. Okay, so that's what's happening. Here's our main point, if you're taking notes. Israel's circumcision pointed to a greater cutting away of the flesh that would be necessary for God's people. Sentence two, this greater circumcision was fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross with our sin. All right, so two sentences. I don't know how to shorten it any more than that. You, you've got two sentences. Israel's circumcision is pointing to something greater that's needed. And then I'm giving away the ending here. Jesus ultimately fulfills. But how does he do that? How does he fulfill the need for circumcision? And first of all, what's happening in our text right now? So let's start there. Joshua chapter five, we've already read it. Uh, Rachel already read it for us, but let's look at verses one and two one more time. Joshua, kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the West and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the people of Israel until they had crossed over their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Okay. So before we get to the circumcision part and we talk about that, I want you to see verse one for a second. I want you to understand verse one is the link to what we talked about last week. So if you were here with us last week, we talked about the miraculous, the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. There was this miracle that took place where God held the waters back and allowed the people to cross on dry land. It was a miracle. Last week, we talked about how we need before a miracle to be trusting the Lord, even if he acts in the 11th hour. And then we need to be remembering the miracle that God has done in the past, which gives us faith to go forward in the future. So you remember that last week was all about the, the preparation for the miracle God was going to do. And then it was about the memorial of that miracle after God had done it. Okay, so that, that's the before and after of God's work in this world and in our lives. But here we get another perspective of what happened. We get the perspective of the people living in the land already, the enemies of the Israelites and how they responded to this miracle that had taken place. And it says that their hearts melted their hearts melted because there was a miracle that took place. They knew that nobody was crossing that Jordan River when it was at flood level. They knew it. And to simply see the Jordan River dry up for a moment while the people cross was a terrifying thing because they knew that the God of Israel was truly powerful. And as we've talked about before, for most of them, this did not lead them to actually go put their trust in that God. This led them to fight against that God, which is mind blowing to us until we realize our own sin. Until we realize that with sinful hearts to know God is powerful doesn't help us. To know God is even real doesn't help us. We have to have changed hearts to truly worship him, to truly love him, to truly know him. These people knew their God. They knew the Israelite God was powerful. They didn't care. They were going to come against God anyways, which we're going to see in later chapters. Now, let's look at verse two and let's jump into this circumcision part. If you look at verse two, where God says, make flint knives, and I want you to circumcise them, and it says a second time, notice that it is precisely at this moment, right at this particular moment, that the Lord tells Joshua to make flint knives and to circumcise there in the text at that time, at that exact moment. I want to comment on that for a minute. Why was it that it was at this moment that God says, oh, by the way, wait, 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 before you guys get into the land, 
you all got to be circumcised. And it says a second time. What's that mean? Well, there's actually a whole generation of, of boys that had grown up to become men that were never circumcised. They were part of the babies. They were, the, they were babies when they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. So many, many of you know that story. We've covered it already. And then as they came up, they've sort of grew to adulthood over that 40 years, and they have not been circumcised. Now, here's what's shocking to me. It's after they cross the river that God says, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on. You've not been circumcised. So all of you adult males get circumcised. Now you may not, that, that's an intense thing. Let's just, let's just say it that way. That's an intense thing. Like to be circumcised as an adult would be a very, very intense thing, especially with flint knives. Okay. This is not a modern surgical tool. Okay. I think I have a picture of flint knives Flint knives were just a rock. Okay, they were a rock. It was you. You found flint like in riverbeds and things, and then you basically napped it. K N A P. You napped it. What that means is you hit it with a rock until it got sharp. Like you, you, you. This is a crude, primitive Stone Age tool that God says to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're going to get circumcised with. Now, here's my point in all of this. Here's my point. They had just crossed over the river and were camping just on the other side of the river, and the river now was flowing again, okay? Now, you may not be thinking about this from a military strategic standpoint, but let me give you the military strategic standpoint here. Their back was now to a massive river. They couldn't cross that river. If an enemy army came against them, they now had a barrier to their back. It was, this is the most vulnerable position that you can be in as a military commander. When we stormed, when we, um, when we uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy, there was a point, this is in World War II, by the way, there was a point at which we were extremely vulnerable as the Allied side, okay? Because there's a point where you can't get enough troops over there, and if they start pushing you back, there's nowhere to go. There's the ocean behind you. And it was a desperate time to get a few weeks in where you could push the boundaries out far enough where you can't be pushed back into the sea as a commander, well, what had just happened here? A river now is flowing at their back. And it's precisely at this moment that God says, take all of the adult males that would be of fighting age, circumcise them. And, 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 if, you, and if this isn't obvious to you, let me make it obvious. You can't fight if you've just been circumcised. And the Bible tells us that there was a three-day period before they could do anything. How interesting that this is the time that God specifically had the people get circumcised. Here's point number one, if you're taking notes. God put the people in a vulnerable situation in order to teach them to trust him, right? So God is specifically saying to the people something loud and clear at this particular moment. Your trust is not going to be in your military strength. Your, your defense, your stability is not going to be in the earthly things that you possess, your fighting men and your muscle. Your strength and your defense is going to be me, the Lord says. I'm going to protect you, verse, over these three days. I'm going to be the one who does it. He's teaching them a lesson that they need to learn throughout this entire campaign as Joshua battles the kings of the south, as he battles the kings of the north that we're going to see coming up in the book of Joshua. These people had to trust in innumerable odds, crazy odds against them. They had to trust that it was the Lord that was going to give them victory. And God will continue to rehearse this over and over and over again. I'm going to give you a sneak peek. There's going to be a point where they come against a town, a, a little area called Aiken, uh, not Aiken, Ai, where they come against Ai. And Joshua says, we got this. We got way more troops than they got. And God says, I'm actually going to give you defeat in that battle. Why? Because there's sin in the camp and I'm the one that gives you victory. And as long as there's sin in the camp, there's a problem in the camp with a guy named Aiken, and we'll get to that later. There's a problem in the camp. I'm the one that gives you victory. 
You don't get victory just because you have superior numbers and you will not be defeated just because you have less numbers. God is teaching them something really, really important here. Okay. Israel's victory could only come through their obedience. That's another thing God is teaching them. It could only come through obedience and obedience is only possible if their sinful flesh is dead and gone. So again, God is teaching the people, you need to cut away this physical flesh from your body as a pointer to the fact that you need an inward transformation to take place. Okay, so here's point number two, if you're taking notes, God commanded circumcision as an outward symbol of a necessary inward reality. Circumcision was meant to point to what they had to do on the inside. It wasn't necessary in and of itself. It wasn't, it, it couldn't stand alone. It actually had to be the inward transformation that took place. But circumcision was a reminder that that inward transformation needed to take place. That necessary inward reality was true for Israel. That necessary inward reality is true for us today. Here's what that speaks to Israel, and here's what that speaks to us. Israel was not okay as they were. We are not okay as we are. There was a book in 1967, a famous psychologist named Thomas Anthony Harris wrote called, I'm okay, you're okay. This was a New York Times bestseller at the time. People rushed out to the bookstores to buy this book because what is desperately desired by our society, both then and now, is the words, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay, right? We're okay. The Bible wouldn't agree with that statement. We are not okay as we are. We do not come out of the womb okay. There is a necessary transformation which has to take place in order for us to be okay. And what the Bible is teaching through circumcision is that even at eight days old, there's a sign that takes place with all the baby boys that is meant to say to the whole people, you're not okay. Something needs to be cut out of your life. A part of your heart, to use this metaphor, needs to be cut in order for you to be okay. Israel was not okay as they were, and circumcision was an external ritual that pointed to their need of an inward heart change. Now, that heart change was needed for God's people then, and it's needed for God's people now. You and I are no different than Israel. We also have been born with a proclivity for sin. And, 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 a, and actually, we've been born, as the Bible says, enemies of God. We don't want him. That's our natural state. That's how we are born. And, and, and the Bible's teaching us here that we need miracle heart surgery, not a physical circumcision. We need a miracle heart surgery to change us. And so that brings us to point number three, if you're taking notes. Circumcision was never merely an external ritual. But like so many things that we humans misunderstand, the Jews misunderstood this. For instance, even in the New Testament, even thousands of years later in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, here is what Christians, Christian Jews, people that had received Jesus at this particular time, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the new Christians, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The idea that they were relying on is that you have to have this external ritual. This, this, this external thing has got to take place. And if it doesn't take place, you're not saved. Everyone needed that ritual, right? I mean, didn't God command it? God commanded that that ritual take place in the Old Testament, right? 
Here's how Paul puts it. And I want us to follow his logic really carefully here in Romans chapter two. Here's what he says in Romans two. And we're going we're gonna to read four verses, okay? 25 through 29. Follow along if you can, this logic. For circumcision, he said, so if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. God doesn't care about your external ritual. God cares about your heart. That's the point of that passage. And how do we know the heart? Well, Paul says you know the heart by obedience. By uh, A new heart has new desires. And when those desires come up to you, you go, I have a desire to obey, whereas I never did before. That's a changed heart. God says, that's what I care about. Now, listen, I'm not concerned that anyone in this room actually thinks that circumcision saves you. Like, I don't think there's anyone in this room listening to my voice right now that actually says, well, you know, because I got circumcised on the eighth day, that's what makes me saved. I don't think anybody thinks that in this room, but that isn't our problem. But here's what is our problem. We tend to fall into the same traps, the same way of thinking that the Jews do in this moment when they think this external ritual saves them. We tend to do the same things. One way that we do this, I think, and I'm speaking now about sort of churches as I think broadly across maybe our nation and maybe even in the world, is the concept of, now bear with me, the concept of an altar call. Okay, all right. I have, now hear me clearly. I have nothing against a particular pastor calling people to respond in the faith, calling people to respond to the gospel with a physical sort of rising or raising of the hand or coming forward. That's, that's not particularly my issue. If you, if you were part of a church, in fact, you may have been saved this way. You may have been to a crusade or a, or a particular um, gospel service where the pastor called for response. And you might say, Pastor JD, that the moment that I was saved there, I say, praise God. And how awesome that that was the case. My issue is not so much the how of, of, of what happens in the service itself. My issue is rather the way pastors and churches talk about that particular incident afterwards. Like they say something like this. Many churches will tell you that you are a Christian now because you walked that aisle. Because you raised that hand. Well, of course you're a Christian. Don't you remember back to that time when you raised your hand and you walked that aisle? And you might even have doubts yourself, but they're convincing you. They're telling you, absolutely, no, you are a Christian. Because that external thing took place, you're now a Christian because of it. Oh, now we're in dangerous waters. Now we have a problem. You may have gone back to a life of sin. You may have no obedience in your life whatsoever. You may have something where you go, I want nothing to do with God, but it doesn't matter to them. They're going to continue to teach. You walk that aisle, brother, sister, you walk that aisle. You prayed that prayer. Don't you remember when you prayed and you trusted Jesus through your prayer? External things that unfortunately didn't have the internal reality going on. And yet they teach the external they teach the fact that it happened, you now have to be saved. And so we have thousands, if not maybe hundreds of thousands of people that have gone to crusades, that have been saved, quotes in quotes, because they walked that aisle. And yet there's no inward heart transformation. 
And now they walk around saying, well, of course I'm a Christian. But what did Paul say here? It's, it's not about external things like circumcision or walking aisles. It's about inward transformation that then how does it come out? How do I know that it's happened? Through obedience. That's the point, right? Isn't the point of saying uh, Romans 2.25, one more time, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, obedience to the law, what God says, but if you break the law, If you are a person that habitually says, I want nothing to do with God's ways, with God's law over my life as a Christian, then you're not a Christian. And and, and, and I, I don't mean this to be some harsh Bible thumper or something. I want you to know in love that this is what the Bible says about what Christianity is at its core. It's about our hearts and the way in which we live that out in obedience to God's commands. And that's why Paul says at the end of the section, one more time, but a Jew, and I would hear there, I would read there, a follower of God, a true follower of God is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. This is a heart transformation that happens by the power of the spirit of God. And it doesn't happen because of external ritual. I did X, Y, Z. I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I went to my priest and I confessed. I did the penance, whatever it is. There is all kinds of of ritual that churches will try to present to you saying, if you do these things, then you're good. And we have to be careful. This is terrible teaching. So God's command for external circumcision was always to be matched by an inward heart change. It points, the one points to the other. The people were to be different in the way that they lived, not just whether they had, if you'll excuse me, foreskin or not. That was not the issue. It was be different in your heart. Not just the appearance of that particular organ of the body. And that was all over the Old Testament. This is not just one particular place. This is all over the place. In fact, listen to Deuteronomy 16.10. Listen to the way Deuteronomy talks here. This is the law. It doesn't get more law than Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 16.10. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. How about that for an analogy? Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Your heart inward, where your desires are, the depths of your desires, be no longer stubborn. It's the heart that God wants circumcised. How about Jeremiah 4.4? Listen to Jeremiah 4.4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your hearts. Do you see there? God is aiming at the heart. He's not aiming at external ritual. He's using the external ritual to point to the heart. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like a fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Again, we're talking about inward and not an outward change. And there's a warning that God attaches to it. If you won't do this, you will be judged by God. So, but if the need was really for a changed heart, then why get circumcised at all? Why did it even matter at all to God that there would be this external thing that would take place? Well, God was actually having them do the external thing because he had promised, this is point number four, if you're taking notes, God promised a future inward circumcision. So now not only is there a need for a future inward circumcision, God is saying, I'm going to promise you a future inward circumcision. I'm going to promise you a change of your heart that I'm going to work. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse six, and the Lord, your God will future tense circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. Who's doing that? The Lord. When's it going to happen in the future? What are the results of having a circumcised heart? 
you all of a sudden love the Lord. Whereas before you didn't. You had the flesh of your heart still on, if I can use that metaphor, and you didn't love the Lord. And then future from the point of Deuteronomy, I'm going to do this one day, Israel. I'm going to circumcise your hearts. You're no longer going to have that flesh on your hearts anymore. You're going to love me. So that means that for the Israelites that actually knew and believed God, that actually knew this verse in Deuteronomy 36, they believed this verse, they would circumcise themselves and their children in a future hope that one day God would provide all that was needed for them to truly be circumcised inwardly. So what would it have been like to be back in Old Testament times and to be obedient to God? Here's what you would have done. You would have circumcised your children because God said to circumcise your children, but he said, I want you to do this, but I want you to know that it's a pointer to a future that I'm going to do. I'm going to be the one to do it. And in believing, in showing you that you believe that future to be true, I want you to do this act. I want you to do this ritual now, which is going to help you and remind you and point you to the future inward reality that I'm going to do. So don't fail to to do this. But this isn't the point. Do you get it? Don't fail to do this, Old Testament Israel. But this isn't the point. Now, when would that future come? This is where we're going to sort of end our time now. When would that future be? Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. I'm going to camp here for a little bit. I have been blown away this week by seeing something new in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Here, Paul is in the middle of just just saying what we have as Christians. For everyone that's put their trust in Jesus, here is what we have. And listen listen to him talk about this. In him, that's in Jesus, because you're in Jesus, because you put your trust in Jesus, in him also, you were circumcised. Okay, perk your ears up now. We've been talking about this the entire time. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, there is so much in these two verses that it would take two or three sermons to get all the way through everything that's here. But I think we're ready to hear a couple of things here. I think there's some things, there's some ways we can go deep into this particular text. For instance, let's start at the beginning. In Jesus you were circumcised. Who's he talking to there? Gentiles and Jews. Some of whom were physically circumcised. The cutting of the flesh had actually taken place on the eighth day when they were babies and others where it had not. And he says to both of them, in him, in Jesus, you, all of you, in fact, he's talking about men and women, all of you were circumcised. Okay, well, wait a minute. That, 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 that can't be, if it's talking about the external ritual, if he's talking about the cutting away of the foreskin, that can't be, that's not possible. He's got a church that's got Gentiles and Jews in it. There's no way that physical thing took place. He's not talking about the physical thing. He's talking about the thing, the physical thing always pointed to, the inward heart transformation that's taken place. There's a circumcision of the heart that has happened here. You were circumcised. That's happened For every single Christian, that has happened. Circumcision has taken place. You are circumcised, Christian. I'm just going right off the text. You are circumcised. But then he clarifies. With a circumcision made without hands. Now, what's he mean there? Well, it took the hands of a, hopefully a skilled person to do the circumcision. You're going to find me strange, but... I was a part of the circumcision of my second son. I was there. I watched it take place. It's grotesque. It's barbaric. Um, It requires the skills 
of a physician. We, you don't want to put yourself in another, you know, you don't want to put yourself in somebody else's hands, literally. Um, this is not made with human hands. This is a circumcision that has happened in the heart made without hands. Now, that word without hands is really significant there because without hands throughout the entire Old Testament has to do with things that God does rather than things that we rely on as human beings. So things that are carved with human hands, they're typically idols. You carve idols with human hands. And so there's this idea of with or without hands. It was done with hands. That's not good. Not good. Idolatrous. That's reliance on the flesh. That's reliance on human beings. Things done without hands. Oh, man, those are, those are the things that God does. Now, this is a, something that God has done. He has changed you, Christian, on the inside. He circumcised your heart. How? How? By putting off the body of the flesh. What does that mean? What does that mean? Christian, when you came to trust Jesus, something happened to you. Something in you died. You are not the same person as before you came to trust Jesus. Something's dead that used to be, quote unquote, alive. It used to be part of you. It used to be part of your body. And something is now dead that used to be there. He says, by putting off the body of flesh. So what is it that died? The flesh. What is the flesh? Well, remember that, that, that the circumcision is the cutting of the foreskin. And when, you, when you're done with it, you throw it out. It's dead. It's not part of you anymore. It used to maybe part, be part of the skin. Again, I'm going into detail because I feel like I have to. So just so you understand here, it was part of the skin. It was part of you. It's not anymore. It's dead. It's dead flesh on the ground. He says, that's the point here. It's the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I just want you all to know, this is the only time these words are used. The circumcision of Christ. What on earth does that mean? We are not used to this metaphor being tied to Jesus. We don't have other verses of the Bible that talk about this metaphor being tied to Jesus. What does it mean? It's the circumcision of Christ. Well, he tells us by continuing in verse 12, whenever you don't know something in the Bible, it really helps to just keep reading. Listen to what the Bible is telling you even outside of that really confusing part. So if we ask ourselves, what does the circumcision of Christ mean? Verse 12 says, having, because we have been buried by him, buried with him in baptism. Okay, Paul, you just switched your metaphors. We were talking about circumcision. Now we're talking about baptism and he's connecting the two together. And he's saying, your circumcision is actually maybe in some ways better, better symbolized by baptism. Why is that better? Why is that better? Why is baptism even a better metaphor where Paul would switch the metaphor? He would say circumcision of Christ, and then he'd say baptism. Why would he switch that all of a sudden in one breath? Well, circumcision is the cutting away of some of your flesh. That's the, that's, the, that's the picture there. What's baptism? Baptism's the death of all of you. All of you dies in baptism. Remember, you go under that water, friends, in baptism. If you're a Christian and you've been baptized, you go under that water and you stay there for a minute. And at that point, freeze, stop. There's a picture emerging right there. You're dead. Anyone who goes under the water is dead symbolically. So it's not just, oh, I need a little bit of my flesh cut away. I'm a pretty good person. I got to have a little bit cut off and then I'm good. And then I'm good. No, there's actually a better picture emerging here. You need to die. All of you. Am I really that 
Am I really, I really come out of the womb that bad that it's actually a death that has to occur in me in order for me to be right with God? Yes. Yes. That is what the Bible communicates over and over and over again. And that is why Christians for 2000 years have been obedient to scripture and they baptize, they get, they are baptized, which means they go under the water. And here's what the Bible says. Keep reading in, in Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism. Whoa. Now it's not only that it's just a symbol. There's actually a reality to the fact that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died and was buried, I was there. I died with him. My sins were judged on the cross, and I died there for my sins with Jesus. That doesn't make me the Savior. He's the Savior. It's only by my unity with him that, it, that, that, that I died. I died with him 2,000 years ago. I know this is mind-blowing. I know this is theological stuff that we're like, what? This is too early. I haven't had my coffee yet. I, I get it. I get it. This is what the Bible teaches. Yes, it's mind-blowing, and yes, it's beyond us. Bear with me for a minute. When I, when I tied myself to Jesus, I tied myself to Jesus in his death. And when Jesus died, I died. And that was what needed to happen because like the cutting away of the flesh in circumcision, I had to have a complete and total transformation of my heart so that my old self, the who I used to be, is dead and gone and was even judged with Christ on the cross. But I tied myself to one who did not stay dead. And three days later, when he rose from the grave, guess what? Guess what else the Bible teaches? The pastor doesn't leave you under the water. Praise God for that, right? <laughs> like, there's a second part to this picture. You emerge. You come up out of the water. Why? Because he did. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. And when he rose, I rose. And when I rose, I rose with new life that I didn't have before. That old JD is gone and dead. At 17 years old, when I put my trust in Christ, JD died. And someone new emerged. I still call him JD, but he emerged. He's new. I'm new because that took place. And the Bible has been pointing to this circumcision the entire time. Something had to change. Something had to happen to the point where here in Colossians, he calls it the circumcision of Christ. Jesus did that heart work. He did that surgery. And yes, am I mixing metaphors? Absolutely, I'm mixing metaphors. How does it all work together? I don't know, but Paul did it right here. Circumcision next to baptism, they work together. You can see it how you want to see it. Jesus performed heart surgery on me and he changed me, but it was through my death that he changed me. That is the picture that has been emerging this entire time. And so here, let's go back to our people in Joshua 5 for just a moment. Our people in Joshua 5 are about to come into a land that was not theirs, that was given to them by God. And God says, this is the land where I'm going to bring my earthly kingdom. I'm going to have my temple. I'm going to have my law rule over this land and you're going to be my people, but you cannot do it unless you have that internal transformation. And so I'm going to teach you about that internal transformation with a very painful and very poignant ritual. And you're going to do this, but it's just a pointer to something else. And he promised his people that one day he would be the one to actually circumcise them. He would be the one to actually do what they couldn't do. And that became fulfilled in Jesus, in his death upon a cross, that the full circumcision has now taken place for men and women, Gentile and Jew. Every person that's put their trust in Jesus, you are circumcised now. You have new hearts. You have new ability to obey. That's the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit only lives in circumcised hearts. So rejoice, Christian, and know that this has happened because of Jesus. And everything has been pointing to Jesus, even in this Old Testament story of Joshua 5, that we read and go, oh, that's weird. 
I don't know what to do with that. Circumcision's weird. I don't know. Let's just skip on. Let's move on. No, there's Jesus here. He's here. If we will see him as the ultimate reality to whom circumcision always has pointed. So know, Christian, that there is a new heart in you. Live now out of that new heart. What does Paul say to do now? What are we supposed to do? We're just supposed to live out the new desires and the new heart that we have. And friends, let me just say, if there's anyone here that goes, I don't know if I had that heart. I don't know if that surgery has actually been done in me. Don't, 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 don't draw back in shame. Come to the one who says he stands ready and he stands, he's, he's here saying, come to me, every one of you. And maybe it's my words this morning that, that, that's, that there's something going on in your heart where you're saying, something's not quite right. I'm not linking up with what he's saying. I don't feel that reality. Come to him. Come to the one that says, I want to circumcise your heart. As weird as that analogy is. You need it. You have to have it. This is how I will dwell with my people. They will have changed hearts. Come to the one who died that you might be free. I implore you and I encourage you this morning. Humble yourself that it, it isn't about what you can do what you can offer, how good you are. For the Israelites, it wasn't about how many troops of fighting men that they had that they could show their earthly toughness in, in the face of the other of the enemies that were coming against him. It has never been about that. And God is doing everything he can to humble his people as he will do in your life to humble you, to bring you to the place where it's not about you. It's not about what you can do and offer to God. It's about what he will do for you. If you will humble yourself and come to him by faith. That's the gospel. We humble ourselves. We come to God by faith. He does the work in our hearts. We glorify Jesus for the rest of eternity as the savior that we never could have gotten there on our own. That's the Christian. That's Christianity. That's the Christian message. That's the gospel. And circumcision, believe it or not, is a pointer to that gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask now as we move towards just a stark pointer in, in communion that you would revive in us this incredible thankfulness that it is you and your death that we're about to celebrate that was the true circumcision of our hearts, that we died with you on that cross and that we were raised to new life. And with, we have a, there's a new person that was raised and we are no longer judged, Lord, because you've meted out your judgment on that cross and we died. And Jesus died. And yet we and Jesus rose again. So thank you for these mysteries. Thank you that it's beyond us. It shows us that you're a God that is bigger and beyond us in our thinking. And yet we're called to believe these things. So I pray you'd help us now as we hold these elements that we would believe, truly believe what it is that you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.